Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. This is the opening session of the celebration Eight Decades of Women at Yale Divinity School, held October 11th through 13th on the YDS campus in New Haven, Connecticut. Introductions are by Talitha Arnold, Women's Reunion Chair, and Harold Attridge, the Reverend Henry L. Slack, Dean of Yale Divinity School and Lillian Klaus Professor of New Testament. Following is a discussion featuring Margaret Farley, the Gilbert L. Stark Professor Emerita of Christian Ethics, Joan Forsberg, former Associate Dean of Students and Women's Advocate, and Emily Towns, Associate Dean of Academic Affairs and the Andrew W. Mellon Professor of African American Religion and Theology. Good afternoon and welcome to the United, to the Women's Reunion of, sorry, not the United Church of Santa Fe, sorry. <laughs> Although you'd be welcome there too, but to the celebration of eight decades of women at YDS, honoring the past, challenging the future. We're very glad you're here. Please be seated. As we begin our time together, just a few announcements before we head into the program. Number one, thank you all very much for being here today. This is the kickoff event for the Women's Reunion and in conjunction with the other reunions and also convocation. A number of people have made this day and the next couple of days possible. You'll find their names listed in the wonderful booklet that Connie Royster and others helped put together. On behalf of the whole school, we and all the alums, we thank all of you, staff and alumni alike, who have made this day a possibility. Just some housekeeping kinds of things. One is that you'll notice that on Wednesday there are breakout groups for various kinds of interests and caucuses. There is information about those groups in the, in the bulletin, and also the sign-up sheet for those groups are in the, are, the sign-up sheets are in the uh, commuter lounge. So take a look at what you might be interested in having a uh, conversation with over lunch on Wednesday, and sign up on the, on the sign-up sheets in the commuter, commuter lounge. Also in that same area, if you have handouts that you want to distribute to people for convocation, please, uh, you can put them on a table in that in the lounge as well. Also in the, in the common room, you will notice two big boards, whiteboards. At the top of one is the question, what do you give thanks for for your time at Yale Divinity School? We invite you to take time and write out what it is that brings you back to this place, what it is that fed you while you were here, what it is that has inspired you in your ministry wherever and however that ministry has taken place. It's a wonderful way of gathering the thanks of our time together. The second board asks for who's in your great cloud of witnesses, that community of saints who believed in you to get you here, who believed in you to get you through here, and who have believed in you ever since then, so that you might be the person of God doing the things of God that God has called you to do. So take time during the various uh, times that, we, that, that you're not going to be in a lecture or doing other things to think about what are you thankful for and who's in your great cloud of witnesses. And that leads me then to the next part. As it, speaking of great clouds of witnesses as we assemble here in this time, I'd like on behalf of the whole school and all the alums to thank our speakers for today. Uh, Margaret Farley, Emily Towns, and Joan, For Joan Forsberg. They're all three known to many of us, and their bios are found in the, in, the bullet, in the booklet as well. And we simply, rather than taking their precious time now to 
um, to go into those details, I invite you to take time, not while they're speaking, to uh, take the booklet and find out what they're about and what they all, all they have done. These are three women who have truly inspired generations upon generations of both women and men here at Yale Divinity School. And one person who is also continue, continues to inspire both ongoing students, alums, and this nation and this world as a whole is Dean Harry Atridge, Dean of the Yale Divinity School. He needs no introduction, and he's going to offer us not only all the, the, uh, all the support that he's been offering for this big celebration over the last year, but also to give us a presentation on YDS Women by the Numbers. Harry, it's good to have thank you. Thank you very much. I'll keep my remarks pretty brief and I'll keep the numbers relatively small because I'll be doing numbers throughout the course of the week. But I think it is important to, in this community of uh, memory and hope, uh, to celebrate the memory of the women who played such important leadership roles in our lives and in the lives of the churches that we serve, and to think about the ways in which um, that leadership is going to be continued going forward. You have a number of numbers in your um, booklet that we'll talk about uh, ever so briefly. And let me just um, uh, begin by noting them. Uh, note the female enrollment column, do you see that? <laughs> Starts with zero. Page is this is, uh, well, I have it uh, here. Oh, yes, I see it. You see it? All right, there it is. It's pages two and three. Um, it starts with zero and continues uh, with zero, much like the Maya Lin Monument downtown. Have you been down to see that? The women's table in front of Sterling Memorial Library goes uh, all the way up until 1920 when we finally get some women at Yale Divinity School. Although they weren't enrolled in degree programs, there were nonetheless uh, five women in each of the classes of uh, 20 and 21 and 7 and 22 who were taking courses of study here. Finally, in 1932, women started to be enrolled in Yale Divinity School. There were four in that year. The first of them graduated in 1935. Gradually, the numbers pick up. As you can see, they get all the way up to uh, the 40s maybe even 50 by the late 60s and early 70s. Hmm. If you look at the chart at the bottom of the next page, you can see that there's a kind of um, a predictability about these numbers. They're roughly about 10% of the population of students that was here. They're totally accidental, I'm sure. Uh, in any case, whatever accidents had uh, kept the numbers at that percentage uh, changed in the early 70s, and you can see that from 1974 on, uh, women started coming in a much larger proportion of the student body. So that today we are almost at uh, parity. One year, about two years ago, we were exactly 50-50 with 201 men and 201 women in the student body. Uh, students on the faculty have also uh, increased over the last uh, several years. And I was delighted this last year to have all of the senior appointments that we made, 100% of the senior appointments that we made consist of senior women. Jennifer Hurt, who's with us here today, Kathy Tanner, who's coming in systematic theology, and Mary Michella, both of them, uh, unfortunately, won loose fellowships for this year and so are on leave during their first year. But they will be with us next year, and some of them I think will be around a little later on this week. Uh, women count some 30% um, of our senior faculty at this point and probably about 50% of the uh, overall faculty numbers, depending on how you count them. In any case, uh, we have a substantial uh, cadre of uh, women faculty members here uh, to balance the women who are uh, in training for leadership among the student body. So 
as this community of memory and hope, I think we can remember and celebrate uh, the women who've been with us in the past, the pioneers, the first women to graduate from Yale Divinity School, Thelma Allen and Bernice Bueller in 1935, the first woman ordained in the Episcopal Church, who was a Berkeley class of 38 graduate, Clara Loveland, the women alums who've been a part of our life here at Yale Divinity School, Joan Forsberg, who I believe is with us today, and uh, Serene Jones, who will be with us uh, later on this week, and Carolyn Sharp, who is still with us uh, from the classes of 53, 85, and 94, and some of the other women uh, alums, uh, such as um, Shannon Clarkson, who's also here with us today, who contributes to our educational program. We have uh, women to celebrate in the leadership of church and world, uh, women like uh, Eleanor Myers, the first president of the Pacific School of Religion, and the first general minister and president of the Disciples of Christ, Sharon Watkins, class of 84. And we have the large group of women who are going to be leading us into the future. Margaret Farley, who is with us today, though, though emerita, she is still active with us and engaged in many significant ways. Emily Towns, the associate dean of Yale Divinity School. Nora Tubbs Tisdale in preaching. Kathy Tanner and Jennifer Hurt and Mary Michella, I've already mentioned as well as um, Carolyn Sharp, Adela Collins in New Testament, Sally Promi in American uh, Artistic History, and Teresa Berger in Liturgical Studies, all senior faculty leading the charge as we go forward. We've come a long way since 1935. We have a ways to go. There are some of our denominations where women are not as fully accepted as they are in others, and I hope that in the course of my lifetime, or certainly the lifetime of our students, that will change, as it has changed over the past uh, 80 years in other denominations. So welcome to this celebration, and let's uh, at this time commit ourselves to going forward uh, seriously to make our hopes and dreams a reality. Welcome one and all. Thank you, Dean Attridge, not only for those words, but also for the incredible support you've given both men and women as they come through this school. And now, my brothers and sisters, as we enter into the time of reflection and sharing and hearing about the past, but also challenging the future, I invite us to come together by taking into our lives God's gifts and being together in a time of prayer as we begin our time together. Let us breathe in deeply the gift of God's peace. Let us breathe in deeply the gift of God's hope for us and for all creation. And let us breathe in God's gift of deep abiding love for us and for this world. You who are the source of all of these gifts, you who are as close as the next beat of our heart, the next breath we take, we give you thanks for all the ways you have made known to us your peace, your hope, and your love through our time as students and in the years that followed. We give you thanks for the journeys that have brought us back to this place. And we give you thanks for this time to gather to remember and to feel at home once again from the journeys, to share our stories, but most of all, to be renewed by this place, by one another, 
and by your deep abiding presence and lively challenging spirit in each of our lives and all of our lives. All this we ask in your name. Amen. And now it's my great delight to introduce to you Margaret Farley, who has taught at Yale Divinity School for three decades for a presentation on Home from the Journey, Remembering and Gathering. Imagine how it feels where everywhere I look, I recognize you. <laughs> generation upon generation, truly. The title given to this opening session of the 2010 YDS Women's Reunion is in some ways puzzling, or perhaps better, challenging. And I trust that the organizers of this session who gave it this title thought of it primarily as challenging. Yale Divinity School was a home for us at one time in our lives, and of course it is now for those who still abide and work and form community here. But how is it home for all of us today? That's the puzzling part. And especially a home to which we come during and after our journeyings. No doubt our memories of YDS have made their home in us, and they will be awakened precisely because we have returned for a short time. Our past has its meaning in our present, and our present will find its ultimate meaning in our future. Personal experience of time is not like ordinary understandings of space, that is one part outside the other. Human time accumulates within us, becomes a part of us, like the rings of a tree or the notes in the whole of a melody. As past flows into the present, it is not an inert appendage. As present becomes future, both past and present are somehow transformed in their meaning, for better or for worse. For those of you who are alums, whether for a long time or short, so much has happened since you lived and worked and formed community here. Your personal and ministerial lives have stretched out in time, changing you and the world around you. You were all called equally in the spirit of God when you came here to prepare for diverse ministries in the churches, in your families, in other professions, in whatever contexts you chose or found yourself. But you went forth to sometimes vastly unequal situations 
where your credentials were accepted or dismissed, exalted or trivialized, depending sometimes only on your gender or your race or your theological perspective or on whether or not you were ordained or whether your call beyond YDS was recognized as sufficiently traditional or whether you were able to find communities of faith and committed love. Your professional and ministerial and personal lives have stretched out with beginnings and endings still to be enacted. But the between of the beginnings and endings will, in a sense, matter most of all. And the between will be different for each of you. Your between partakes of both past and present, which is why we have to reflect on both, even as it is the bridge to a not yet future. My own experience with women at YDS began in 1971, a long time ago, yet a relatively short past. Immediately prior to this, in 1970, a YDS alumnal committee on the Ministry of Women, chaired by Joan Forsberg, issued a report describing the history and current situation of women as women at YDS. It contains statements like this. Little has been done to diminish the jaundiced attitudes toward women seminarians and their vocational aspirations, which remain among their male peers. Less has been done to foster an atmosphere of support among women and in the community. Nothing has been done to prepare women to cope with the discrimination they continue to encounter in the churches and their ministries. Difficulties in placement, lower salary scales for the same work, lower status. At a time, I'm still quoting from this report, 1970, at a time in which our society is being confronted by a second wave of protest against the continued economic, social, and vocational discrimination against women, the seminaries have tended not to be in the vanguard of the church, <laughs> but have trailed miserably behind the concerned leadership in denominations and the National Council of Churches. The report proposed, among other things, that a position be established for a vocational religious counselor for students. That some women be appointed to the full-time faculty. There were none in 1970. That active steps be taken to address gender discrimination in the school. That more women be recruited to the BD program, what most of you know as the MDiv program and encouraged to seek ordination, and that courses should be offered at YDS dealing with the image, role, and relation of women and men in the church, family, and society. This report 
obviously gave a rather grim picture of the experience of women at YDS until that time. Although these women also had richly positive experiences, times when their hearts no doubt were burning as they studied the ways of faith and the possibilities for action. The 1970 report became part of the radical change that began to take place in 1971, the beginning of a surge that continues still today. Its concerns were energized by the social and cultural situation of the 60s, and the women who flocked to YDS and other seminaries after that were filled with a power for change. The present is markedly different from the past in the world, the churches, and YDS. There are not the same problems or at least not in the same degree that were identified in the 1970 report, although there are always new challenges. For example, as Letty Russell and I taught through many years, our course in feminist theology and ethics, it became apparent to us in our latter years that questions had changed, resources had multiplied, Feminist thinking had diversified, but also the knowledge of feminist theological and ethical classics had been lost. The work of women like Mary Daly, Elizabeth Schussler Fiorenza, Rosemary Ruther, Beverly Harrison, and many, many others. New students, by and large, in 2007, when we last taught the course, did not know any of these writings. And hence, they had, they had lived the fruit of them, one might say. And hence, their understanding of women's critique, retrieval, and reconstruction of major doctrines in particular was truncated. So the last time Letty and I taught the course, as I said, in 2007, not long ago, we decided to include the classics as well as major new writings by women. This was an eye-opener for many of the students, both women and men, and a source of new energy for probing the depths of what they believed. No one lives in an historical vacuum. In each of your generations, the past has moved to the present remaining within each life, even as it is transformed. And every one of you that has passed through this divinity school has changed it, however imperceptibly. You became a part of someone else's life, and you changed the institution as well. There are some dramatic examples of this such as the massive effort to save the quad. <laughs> Some of you will remember the Habitat for Divinity event, <laughs> the countless meetings, the communications with alumni, the partial victory of remaining on the hill, and the fuller victory of saving all the buildings. Women and men 
students and faculty, and alums were part of this effort. Although it must be said that women were its backbone and its force of communal grace. What followed was also dramatic. That is the remarkable renovation of the school. Some of you seeing it for the first time, I know. And the school's movement into the 21st century, for example, in terms of classroom design and all that became possible because of this. You see around you the change in places and forms of worship, both preservation and transformation. Not achieved without struggle, but now incarnating the commitments and hopes of a divinity school whose tradition is a living tradition and has always been so. And women have been a sterling part of what makes the tradition live. Other dramatic examples include the simple explosion in the number of women students, to the point where it stabilized, as Harry Attridge just said, at about half the student body. And the not so simple, but nonetheless remarkable growth in members in numbers of women faculty, administrators, and staff. There are also less dramatic, but equally significant examples. The profound conversations held within the walls of this school, changing forever the lives of individuals and even of the school. The new forms of partnership with the rest of the university, the diversity achieved slowly and still slowly developing within the student body and the faculty. The openings to ecumenical and interfaith dialogue, and on and on. Some things some of you may find yourself regretting, but there can be no doubt that this school is vibrant in its struggles, its achievements, its ongoing life. The fabric of the between constituted by these efforts, shaping the present and future, has notable threads running through it. For example, in the continuing commitment of the school to prepare persons for the churches as well as society. Think, too, of the path forged by particular individuals whose marks have been irrevocably woven into the life of the school. Administrators like Joan Forsberg, whose wisdom and comfort saved the vocations of countless students. quiet presence and courageous action made so much progress possible. And faculty, like Letty Russell, whose challenges to injustice showed so many new ways to mend creation, and whose creative pedagogy and theology startled and nurtured new insights and new convictions in the hearts and minds of so many who encountered her and worked with her here. Thank you.
you have experienced your past and your between since graduation from YDS, we are all challenged by a present social and cultural situation marked by such things as escalating technological progress, yet disaster. We only need to keep in mind the human-caused eruption of untamed oil in the Mexican Gulf. Wars and rumors of wars circle the globe, not only in Afghanistan, but on the continents of Africa, Asia, and Latin America. The stark contrast of poverty and wealth haunts our own country and the whole world. As natural disasters, but also human-engineered economic meltdowns leave far too many people homeless, jobless, vulnerable to the worst as well as the best of human responses of violence or compassion. A new mean-spiritedness and vitriolic self-righteousness have come to mark the political landscape here and elsewhere, and the churches are all too often torn apart, especially over ethical issues, and especially issues of gender and sexual identity. But of course, also, remarkable humanitarian efforts are mounted in the present situation. Movements to care for Earth are growing, and countless individuals and organizations stand in active solidarity with the marginalized. Progress has been made, whether in the treatment of terrible diseases or in the fragile peace achieved in a few places around the world. Yet optimism is not our general mood. We recognize that today's signs of the times still call us to struggles against so much hatred and fighting and still against racism and sexism and they call us to engage in struggles for economic and political liberation, respect for genuine pluralism, and renewed efforts to bring about justice in our generation, on our watch, for our neighbors near and far. This common present is the context for our faith and our action our labors in the church or in society. But what can be said now about the heart of your vocations in whatever forms they have taken? The patterns and places of your lives have been diverse. Some have found a home in their professions and ministries and families. Some have lived homeless, in a sense, even if they are ordained. First called to one path, then to another, many of you have learned the this-worldly meaning of we have here no lasting home. No matter what, you have been on journeys since your first call to come to YDS and the journeys themselves may be where you make your home. Whether you have found your place or you are still searching for it, 
you may have come to know the kind of love that asks you in a myriad of ways to lay down your life for others, thus coming paradoxically to find yourself. If so, you have probably also learned that every great love is tried by fire, but not destroyed. With other women who challenged a view of Christianity that glorified suffering, you may have learned that the point of the cross is not finally suffering and death, but that relationships can hold. I speak in Christian terms here and of Christian symbols, but I trust that some analogies may be found in symbols of other traditions in which some of you may stand. In the cross of Jesus Christ, the divine human relationship is forever restored and it holds. And our relationships with one another can hold. Never letting go our sense of dignity, truth, justice, and call, we can glimpse the possibilities of a love stronger than death, a love that can withstand complexity, limitation, distance, even failure. To sustain such loves, the between of our lives gets woven with insight into experiences of the already not yet. Experiences not of disillusionment or mere resignation, but of an upsurge of hope. This is at the heart of our movement into the future and at the heart of our call. But to return to our title for this opening session, Home from the Journey, Gathering and Remembering, what can it really mean? Surely, we who have traveled forth and now come together again are only fleetingly here at home. We may still be without a home of a certain kind, or we may have many homes, yet here no lasting home. Our ministries, in whatever form they take, perhaps always include the ministry of easing the burden of persons driven from home, so many millions in our world today, living endlessly in a strange land or never being welcomed to a table. Perhaps in our journeys, we have heard the call to put our roots down, not simply in a place, but in the hearts of those we love. And we have thereby learned to welcome one another into our own hearts. As we reflect in these short days about our individual as well as our shared pasts, we shall no doubt recognize things lost and things gained. But we shall also remember and perhaps relive those in encounters 
those events of which we can still say, were not our hearts burning within us? And we may see anew our call to make our home in one another's hearts and ultimately in the heart of God. If so, we can go forth, but in a sense, never leaving. We can return, but in a sense, never having been away. Welcome home. <laughs> here, an embarrassment of riches, Joan Forsberg and Emily Towns. And Joan is going to briefly reflect with us, with us on her experience, which for many of us is now past, but whatever she wants to say about it. <laughs> so many memories in this room. It's overwhelming for me. I don't know if you have the same feeling I do when you look out the window at that tree and how many, yes. how many years, how many days in chapel have we related to the glory of that tree. And so many connections as I look around the room. Thank you, Margaret. Um, I have two incarnations at this institution. The first, I arrived here in 1950 as a student and was here from 50 to 53. And some of my cohorts and some just ahead of me are, are here. Um, our hearts were burning when we came to this place, burning with an eagerness about learning and about serving. Um, and we were a very serious crowd, in my recollection, in the early 50s. And we had to be, because I will tell you truly, um, Early in the first week, Dean Pope, I love Dean Pope, and he came down to talk to the new women students, all 10 of us, who had been admitted for that year, according to the quota system. And he came to meet with the 10 of us and welcome us at, at 301, where we lived several blocks away at the corner of Edwards and Prospect, where the women lived. Um, and he welcomed us, and then he told us that it was that it was very serious business to be here because they had kept out so many men to let these girls into the school. <laughs> All ten girls. And that we should be... And that we, it was very important that we finish the course because we'd kept out all those men. And so we should be very serious about that and finish our three-year program. And then he added, and I've never sorted this out totally. He was a wonderful Southern Christian gentleman and I loved him dearly. He said, it was very hard to decide among all the women who had applied. And so we very carefully went over your 
applications, and we looked very carefully at all your pictures, and we picked the 10 women we figured would stay the course. You know, you see, it takes a while for it to register. <laughs> and it took a while for us to register, and I don't remember that we reacted particularly. I mean, we were, this was 1950, we were very nice girls who had been well brought up to be happy with the system. And you didn't get angry at a nice um, professor in front of you, even though you weren't quite sure what he meant by that comment. <laughs> Anyway, um, it was a wonderful time here, the golden age of faculty, as I frequently say it was, the Dr. Bainton, Niebuhr, Calhoun, Napier, um, the Pope, two popes. <laughs> anyway, it was a wonderful, wonderful faculty, and we loved it, and we thrived under them, and, but there were no women faculty. I'm not sure whether we ever verbally regretted that out loud, or even noticed it, you know? At that point, that wasn't in the consciousness. There was no technical women's center, but 301 Prospect Street, down there at the corner, Edwards and Prospect, all the women lived there, um, 28 or 30 of us, given the three-year program. Um, and so it was a women's center of a kind, and there was lots of support there. But not, I don't remember any conversations about consciousness raising or about roles of women or about um, identity or about what's wrong with the school that it doesn't have more women in here. I don't remember any of that. We were serious students. We were thankful to be here. And we pretty much, pretty much thrived. Um, there was political consciousness raising, though. <laughs> I remember that they said, tell some anecdotes. I remember this one. The day I arrived at 301, was bringing my suitcases in the front door, up the steps, and at the top of, on the second floor, I heard one voice saying energetically to somebody else, obviously a first-year woman student, the other woman was saying to her, but you can't be a Republican and be a Christian. And there I was, a nice little Republican from a little white suburban town in New Jersey. I thought, oh my. <laughs> there was also um, an organization, a group of students and one faculty or two who did what was called religion at the news desk. And Ann Austin was part of that and others who dealt with all the news and political news in the world. So there was consciousness about that. And there was some diversity. Um, among women students. In my class of 10, um, there was one woman from Puerto Rico and one um, of Japanese background from Hawaii. Um, and in the rest, there were some women of color in the rest of the, among the rest of the women who were there in our uh, Bernice Cozy Pulley and, and all in those early years. Uh, so we weren't all, we didn't all look alike, which was great. Um, okay, now I'm going to jump from the early 50s to the 70s. How are we doing this? We have about two minutes. I have two minutes for the 70s. I'm sorry. Um, the main thing you need to know about the early 70s was the massive sea change in this school. It was not just 
that, that of the first woman faculty came, but also the first Roman Catholic faculty, Margaret Farley, Henry Nowen, also Berkeley Divinity School joined us. So for the first time, it was a university divinity school and a church-related seminary connected. And then there was suddenly an advocate for women, and nobody quite knew what that was about, except the women started to apply. Those were the years when the Holy Spirit blew the doors open of every seminary in this country, and the women who had been waiting came pouring in um, everywhere, church-related seminaries and other schools across the country in 71, 72, 73, 74. There were 28 women in the student body when I started as well, it was called Advocate for Women, and I quickly said, could we call that Advocate for Students so they don't think women are needy and helpless and whatever, so it became Advocate for Students. Um, there were 20, the next year, there were 52, the next year there were 90 women, the next year it went over 100, and I stopped hatching all those <laughs> applications. Um, the men faculty said, what are you doing? Are you, out you were not allowed to recruit. There was no recruiting at Yale in the early, up to the early 70s. Mm -mm. And so you can't be recruiting. I said, I'm not recruiting. The Holy Spirit's blowing them through the door and I just, <laughs> I just welcome them. <laughs> um, I'm gonna stop there and we get to back to some other things. And there'll be plenty of time also to share more. But now uh, we turn to Emily Towns, who is one of the newer members uh, of the faculty and also the academic dean. Um, I want to start by thanking both Margaret and Joan. It's, um, I wouldn't be here if you hadn't been. Yeah. So, we're glad you are. Thank we're you. glad you are. Thank you. And I also want to put faces to, uh, I'm going to do this in stages, so don't jump up before I call you. Um, put faces to the women full-time full women faculty who are here. And some of you I've seen, and I'm not sure I've identified everyone, but if we could start with Jennifer, just stand and say your name so folks can see you. Anyone else in this session, section? Over in here? Keep standing, keep standing. More back this way? I know Nora Tubbs Tisdale was here, but she may have left. Yolanda? Okay. And um, adjunct faculty, women faculty. Shannon? Other folks? Anyone else? Oh, okay. And I'm not sure if any of our visiting women faculty are here today. I just think it's important to see the faces. Martha, you... <laughs> um, I think it's important to see the faces. You hear the names often, but some of you may not always see the faces and know them. Um, so I just wanted to see everyone to see who I work with, along with the men, but also. <laughs> I, 
I'm going to um, do some a, a little bit from some of the things that Margaret's um, uh, address touched off with me. And I'm going to start with something some of you have heard me do before, but uh, most of you have not. And it's a soliloquy from um, the movie Daughters of the Dust by Julie Dash. It's the story of a Gullah Sea Island family. That's uh, Gullahs are on this in, in the, on an island, on the islands off of South Carolina, uh, and they have lived on these islands basically untouched when this movie was made or set in the early late 1800s, early 1900s. And this family is going to move to the mainland and up to New York. And so there's a little bit of consternation going on with what's going to happen. And there is one scene near the end of the movie in which um, Eula, who is um, one of the granddaughters of Nana Pizant, has been raped and the audience knows that the person who, well, everybody knows who raped her was a white man. She's with child, and no one knows whose child it is. Is it her husband's child, Eli, or is it the, the child of the result of this rape? The narrator of the story is the child who's not yet born, and the child is their child. Eli and Eula's child. Well, there's another woman who comes home to the island, Yellow Mary, who um, was a prostitute. And she turned to that life after she had been raped, but her husband left her, so she had no other resources on the mainland. So she um, turns to prostitution, and the women are ostracizing her. And Eula says this to them. There's going to be all kinds of roads in life to take. Let's not be afraid to take them. We deserve them because we're all good women. Do you, do you know who you are and what you've become? You're the daughters of those old dusty things Nana carries in her tin can. We carry too many scars from the past. Our scars own us, our mother's scars, our sister's scars, our daughter's scars, thick, hard, ugly scars. So no one can ever pass through to hurt us again. Let's live our lives outside of the folds of those old wounds. Now, when I started, it was 77. It wasn't here. It was at another school west <laughs> in the city of Chicago. Um, and it was very clear we had inherited some fairly thick scars that we didn't even know what those scars were all about. We just knew that they were present. And so we began to think through, as students, how do we do that? How do we deal with something that we can't yet quite name, but we know is present, and we can see the women in front of us responding to this and trying to not make their struggle ours, but be true to the struggles that we saw in ourselves. 
So one of the things that I think that Margaret challenges us to do is how do you pass on the need to remember that there is a struggle? To not make the struggles that have come in the past the ones that this generation is dealing with, let them have their own scars and wounds and work, but to talk together. So I first think we have to recognize that there is one. And second, we must have deep intergenerational conversations. And I want to stress conversations. Because so often, those of us who are older like to tell those of us who are younger what they should be doing, and they listen about as well as we did. <laughs> so we should probably learn a little bit from our own hard-headedness that the way to help people understand more is by conversations, not telling. Uh, third, these conversations have to move from just being talk to analysis and strategy sessions. And then finally, we've got to act. Now many women come knowing the classics of contemporary voices here at Yale, of classics and the contemporary voices, and I am happy to say some days that it's a joyful moment when one or two or several come into my office or catch me in the hallway or find me in the common room or see me in the servery or catch me after Chapel Hill when they know I might be particularly vulnerable and say, I'm taking this class and I want to know why there are no women in it that we have to read. I think that is a mark of movement and it's not just women who come and ask that question. It's men as well. We have moved a good bit. So what I think we are about now is helping them go deeper. If they come knowing this from their undergraduate careers or where they've been before, then the job of Yale is to help them go deeper. So we must be a faculty who can help those do so with precision and rigor. In other words, to be YDS at its best, its scholarly and ministerial best. We need to be about helping women um, develop a belief in the gifts God has placed in them with humility, but without apology. And I think that's the harder thing to pull off. Too many of us come in here being humble, not enough without apology. So we're not only dancing Sarah's circle. I know, Margaret, you're standing, so I'm almost done. <laughs> we not only dance Sarah's circle now at YDS, we're also learning how to do a shake dance for the postmodern age that needs more heart and soul in a world that gets more sterile and indifferent each year. So as one of the old black women of my grandmother's generation used to say to her friends, Mm, mm, mm. Girl, it's time to get a moving. And so we are. Thank you so much to And now I turn it back over to Talitha. 
Margaret, Joan, and Emily, I cannot thank you enough, both personally and on behalf of all who are gathered here, for the wisdom that you've offered us in a very succinct kind of way, the things you've reminded us that we know, and the things that you have challenged us to relearn once again. In this time, we'd like to offer some time for you, to, for us together as a, as a community, to reflect on what we've heard and also on some of the questions that have been raised. Margaret raised in her presentation the question about how is this home or where have we found home, both here but also in the ministries and lives to which God has called us and for which God has empowered us. What have been challenges? What have been the graces? You'll see both in the booklet but also on your yellow, um, yellow program on the flip side of it are three questions. In your life, in your life at YDS and beyond, what would you identify as the greatest challenge you faced? What would you identify as the greatest grace you've known? And where have you found a home? In ministry, in God's heart, in both. I invite you to take just a few moments to reflect on these questions. It's not too much time, it's not enough, it's certainly enough time to go really deep. But to begin to think about this is these questions shaping our time together here at the Women's Reunion. And then, as the Spirit moves you, turn to someone next to you and just partner up for just a few minutes um, and share an answer to one of those questions about grace, about challenge, about finding home. These questions are mainly to help, help us think about the time that we have and also the time that God will call us to when we leave from this place yet once again to face the challenges of our lives and ministries and also to find the grace and the home that God offers us wherever we are. So take a moment, uh, especially for the introverts, to uh, be introverted and think about, think about your, what you might do with these questions, and then turn to someone near you. Someone suggested everybody turn to their right, but if we do that, then that doesn't actually work. So figure out how you're going to turn to somebody next to you and find someone to share this with, preferably somebody across a generation, perhaps. We'll come back together with the singing of Ubikati Tas, but take some time now. This was a discussion at the opening ceremony of the Eight Decades of Women at Yale Divinity School celebration, held October 11, 2010.